This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. When I see an ambitious new visual display project lit up at a new or renovated airport, office tower, or attraction, I just about assume that if it's in the US, the company that put it in is probably Electrosonic. The company is technically an AV systems integrator, and there are lots of them out there of all sizes. But where corporate meeting spaces, control rooms, and reception areas are the day-to-day work for most of those companies, the bread and butter work for Electrosonic is in locations where experience is the primary consideration and mindset. The company, which has offices in the US, Europe, and Asia, has a ton of experience and expertise in delivering AV and IT jobs that involve more than getting infrastructure in place. They work a lot with creative design and technology shops who are fantastic at the big ideas and compelling visuals, but they want and need to hand off the install to a seasoned team. I had a great chat about Electrosonic with Brandon Harp, a senior business development manager working out of the company's New York offices. Brandon, thank you for joining me. Can you give me the rundown on Electrosonic and you know what does it do that's different from a lot of the AVI integrators who are out there? Sure. Hi. Thanks, David. And I appreciate you having me on the podcast. I've been a longtime admirer of your content and so forth. So I've been following you for, for many years. So really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so Electrosonic is a technology professional services firm. Uh, we design, build, and support innovative technology solutions that create unforgettable experiences where people live, work, and play. And for many years, you probably know of us uh, from the museum and the theme park world, uh, but we've uh, expanded over the years and uh, have, have really started to uh, focus uh, solely on um, immersive and experiential environments. And so for us, we're a bit of a specialized firm. Uh, we do consider ourselves uh, still a boutique style AV uh, systems integrator, but the, the kinds of projects that we work on are on the global level and span a multitude of different industries, including corporate and retail and attractions um, and, and a multitude of others. You said you expanded into this uh, from museums and uh, th- those kinds of attractions. Was that a conscious decision or is that just where the business was going? Yeah, so uh, right after COVID, the business made a, a decision to go back to our roots, which was always this these complex sort of custom environments that we had been working in for many years, which our clients best knew us for. Uh, we've done away with the just the kind of the typical hang and bang conference room projects. Um, we we still do a portion of those if there is an element of that to a more uh, a project that fits better into our, our scope. But uh, we've really 
done a good job, I think, as a company of being able to identify where our strengths are and where we can really add value for our customers. And so uh, that is really in that experiential and immersive sort of environments, uh, working with you know, video walls, various different interactives, um, you know, uh, projection mapping, things of that nature. Is, is it a situation where you, you don't really want to do the, the, the meat potatoes, boardrooms, uh, collaboration displays, all that sort of stuff because there's no money in it or minimal money in it, or is it just not terribly interesting? I think it's a combination of all those things, Dave. I think, um, you know, with the, with the standard corporate conference rooms, it's really become a race to the bottom. And uh, we just, uh, as a company, have recognized where our strengths are on delivering these projects. And really, our delivery model best lends itself to uh, more of these custom, really, uh you know, high engineer, high end engineering projects where we need a, a certain level of technical ability that not all integrators have. And so those are the kinds of projects that we're setting our sights on. And that's the ones that we continue to get hired for because of our ability to not only project manage, but engineer and uh, design. Um, you know, something that you're, you might not know about us is that we actually do have a, a full design consulting firm uh, within within our, our larger company. And so, uh, you know, we look at things through, I would say, a much more creative lens. So it's less about just engineering a system and it's more about looking at through a creative lens and saying, all right, what's the user experience? You know, what is the story that you're trying to tell? You know, how does that all get fused with the architecture? And then really thinking about at the end of the day, what is that human? What is the human connection and what are they going to feel uh, as the uh, you know the system gets implemented and they go on to use it. Yeah, you, you've kind of found this niche and pretty lucrative niche in that a, a lot of the AV IT systems guys, they're they can be very very good at the technical side of putting something in, but they've probably not spent a lot of time with video walls or projection mapping or inversive environments and you start talking about that and they're looking at you like uh could you say that again yeah ab absolutely i, I think it, again it goes back to our roots you know working on dark rides and so forth in theme parks um if you can imagine some of the complexities of being able to projection map in an environment like that you know we've changed we've been able to uh essentially replicate that and bring that same methodology that same sort of design consulting and engineering into you know, corporate spaces and so forth, briefing centers, uh, you, know, you know, visitor centers, lobby attractions, things like that, where you've got this sort of experiential element that we're best known for. And then we help you think through it creatively and our creative technologists and, and uh, knowledge uh, experts can, can really help the clients think more about, okay, what is that user experience? What do you want them to feel as opposed to just looking at boxes and squares on walls and trying to price technology? So our approach has been a bit different, but it seems to be very effective with our clientele. And they like the fact that we're not afraid to take the technology away from them in order to really think through that content experience, to think through what is it not only short term but also longer term for their uh, for their environment. Yeah, it, it's interesting because so many places are now being defined as attractions. 
So like 20 years ago, an attraction was a theme park or a museum. But now, like you alluded to, a corporate lobby is an attraction. That's right. Yeah, we've seen a we've seen a big uptick in that, um, you know, kind of right around the time of COVID. So 2020 and, and onward. Um, what we're also seeing is that there's quite a few real estate developers now who are trying to take on these attractions. Um, I think one that you're probably familiar with that everyone is, has either been to or is aware of now is Summit One Vanderbilt, where SL Green was uh, the real estate developer behind an attraction like that, which is an observation deck that spans multiple floors and is multi-sensory. So, you know, working with real estate developers like that who have a good understanding of, of real estate and square footage you know, how do we apply that to an attraction-based environment and help them be able to have the very best system to create that guest experience? And that's what we've been doing. And that's why we've continued to get hired for these large-scale projects that, uh, you know, seem to have those sort of elements. So for that one in New York, what was driving SL Green? So uh, what was really driving SL Green was the vision that their CEO, Mark, had, um, Mark Holliday. And so his vision was to have this observation deck that sits high above the clouds uh, in New York and as part of a, a major building that went up just next door to uh, Grand Central Station, which is one Vanderbilt. And so 90 stories up in the air. Uh, you've got this multi-sensory experience where people can not only come and see and enjoy the views of New York, but uh, also be immersed in these various different rooms and environments that really lend itself to something for everyone. So you don't necessarily have to be a tourist uh, to enjoy it. You can also be a local um, or someone just passing through, but uh, you know it really lends itself to something for everyone. And now we're starting to see more and more of these major super talls that are going up that are changing the New York skyline, um, having an element of an immersive experience in it, whether it's an observation deck or, you know, a lobby experience, an elevator experience, things of that nature. And where do they see the money out of that? Is If it's an observatory high up, I, I assume they're charging for that. They are, yeah. It's again, it's a paid attraction. So that uptick in, in paid attractions inside of corporate, you know, what were typically corporate, fully corporate buildings, is now uh, something that we're seeing more and more of. Um, yes, you may have, you know, all the other floors in the building are, you know, corporate tenants, just like one Vanderbilt, uh, but it also has this attraction there that spans four floors. So you're starting to see kind of this mix of not only corporate, but attraction based entertainment. And think about it in New York City. Um, it's not a, you know, a theme park like a Disney World or a Universal where you've got, you know, lots and lots of acres to play with. Um, we're talking about going vertically here for these attractions that go uh, go up in New York City. So we're starting to see a real uptick in that and really being able to apply all of that methodology that we've developed over the years and how to deliver those projects successfully for the theme park uh, business to uh, these corporate uh, institutions. I'm assuming it's a bit of a delicate dance for these property developers if they do that sort of thing, because if you turn your building into a tourist attraction, you you're at the risk of a lot of crowds and people wandering around and the regular tenants are kind of fighting their way to get to the elevators and things. 
Yeah, I think that uh, to kind of combat that, what they've done is, uh, for example, for one Vanderbilt, they have all the tenants have their own lobby. So they're actually utilizing their own elevators and so forth. So they're actually not, you know, their day is not interrupted at all by anything in terms of crowds or anyone trying to get into one Vanderbilt, um, you know, into the observation deck for Summit. So there's, it's got its own separate entrance and it's, uh, it's, it's actually very well thought through. I think what impressed me most about SL Green was their ability to adapt um, to the ever-changing kind of design in an environment. Um, and they really did a good job of listening to all of the consultants that they brought in. Um, you know, again, they're a real estate developer, right? And so to take on a major attraction inside of one of the largest buildings in Manhattan is something that was a bit foreign to them, but they really brought in a great, you know, great consultants to help them think through every aspect of this, which is why it runs so effectively and efficiently now. You mentioned that you have a design consultancy. What is all that about? So our design consultancy practice is based out of Las Vegas. Uh, We do have uh, design consultants now that are uh, remote as well. So we have a few here on the East Coast and in Denver and a couple of other strategic places around the U.S. and then overseas in in Europe. Um, But for us, it's very much uh, about AV consulting. Um, What you may not know about us is that we also do security, surveillance, access control, as well as information communication technology, which is your structured cabling, uh, as well as acoustics. So oftentimes we find ourselves in these conversations very early on with architects and owners and uh, people who are designing these these experiences. And so they want us to be a part of their team to help uh, steer the technology decisions. And so we're, we're finding that we're being hired more and more early on in these projects because we look at things through that creative lens. You know, we consider ourselves creative technologists, very true to our trade and, uh, you know, very client focused throughout and being involved very early to help steer and guide the solution through master planning um, is very important to the outcome of these projects. And so now what we're seeing is an uptick in uh, design build as well, because you know we're working very closely with the ownership and the owner reps at an early stage to really flush out the design and the intent. And then if we're able to come in and do the AV build, which we're, we're finding is happening more and more, um, there seems to be a real desire to have one hand to shake at the end of the day when it comes for all of those, uh, for all design, build, and all the way through to support, which is what we offer. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. Do you find that the end users, whether they're property developers or 
just building owners or major tenants or whatever that they are smarter or more sophisticated about what they want to do than maybe they were five, 10 years ago? That's a great question. I think it's a mixed bag still, honestly. I think there's oftentimes, uh, you know, these clients come to us kind of with these blue sky ideas, or maybe they have some sort of concept renderings that they had uh, hired a firm to put together for them. And then they ask us, how do we how do we execute this, right? And what do we need to be able to be successful? And I think that's where our design consulting practice comes in. We help them really think about not only the technology, but more importantly, what's the what's the outcome? You know, how does the user feel and what are they going to experience here that's going to make them want to continue to come back and continue to talk about this? Um, so, you know, getting in early like that has really been uh, very effective um, for us. Um, and then, you know, the build portion of it as well, which we've always been very known for, um, you know, having a good understanding of the project from day one has really been, uh, you know, made it very effective for us. How important is scale? I, I mean, we, we've seen all kinds of press releases about a LED video wall that's 60 feet wide, 100 feet wide, whatever the, the dimensions are. Uh, but I'm wondering now if, if you're starting to see a more sophisticated approach where they're not just thinking about the scale, but how it fits uh, you know, how is this going to work within the environment, all those sorts of things? Yeah, I think some of the, the clientele has thought that through or they've gathered information from other projects. Um, some do have maybe a bit of a more sophisticated approach or they have someone who's a technology advisor who's been sort of helping them think through things. I think where where we come in is really to be able to help them take that to fruition, right, and take it to that next step. Um, you know, so I, I do think it's it's still a bit of a, a mixed bag um, in terms of scale itself. Um, you know, it, it depends on the project. I think we do uh, a number of projects that are going to have multiple locations over and over again. And we sort of create this blueprint for those. But we also do a lot of these one off projects, as you can imagine. Right. Especially when it comes to museums and theme parks and you know, briefing centers and things of that nature where, you know, it's a it's a one of a kind experience and uh, we really have to be able to deliver on what the client's looking for. Yeah. And that's a bit of a challenge, I would imagine, in that one off projects are, are awesome when they come along, but it, it becomes a bit of a roller coaster ride as opposed to kind of predictable recurring services you might be providing. It, it, it is very much so. And we we find with these one-off projects that um, because of the size and the scale of them, typically, you know, they take, they could take anywhere from a year onwards to be able to complete. So you can imagine that requires a, a great deal of, of uh, patience and, and skill and, you know, making sure that we have updated schedules and uh, just, you know, strong project management, strong design engineering early on to, to make sure that we have the very best system in place. But, you know, also too the supply chain is another thing. Right. And so not to go down too far of a rabbit hole on that. But if your projects are, you know, typically a year to a year and a half in length, um, often find, you know, times what we're finding now is that the client wants to know right out of the gates you know, are there any stumbling blocks in terms of supply chain challenges? And then, 
you know, we have to order this material and equipment very early on in the process in order to combat that, or we have to find something else that we can use in order to deliver the system uh, on time and, and within budget. So it's, it's a bit of a, as you said, a roller coaster is a great way to describe it. I, I would, you said a year, a year and a half. I, I'm thinking with some airports and let's say hospital campuses, that's probably more like a four to five year planning cycle, right? Certainly. Yeah. I, I think the year to a year and a half seems to kind of be the average, but uh, yes, to your point, you know, we often find ourselves, you know, involved in airport projects and so forth where we, you know, the, the delivery date is 2026 or 2028 even now. Uh, and so, you know, again, I think it has to do with being able to get in early with the right people, make sure that we're providing them with what they need to be successful and then staying in, in touch and in tune with uh, what's going on through the life cycle of the project and, 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 you know, the management of it, right? Project management in AV has always been a, a hot point, right? And uh, so for us, it's, uh, it's very much about the project managers being able to see through a project of that length uh, properly and show it the adequate um, attention that it needs to be successful. I, I'm also guessing that because you're sometimes looking that far out for an airport or something like that, that you really need to stay on top of emerging technology and think about, okay, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to put in right now with what's available right now. I'm thinking what's going to be out there three years from now, which might be micro LED or, 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 or something else that isn't really commercially available right now. That's very true. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And it's certainly something that we take into consideration on on all of these projects. I think, you know, you have to look at the manufacturers, the longevity of their companies. Are they going to be, you know, around for many years to come? And then, you know, what does the the product roadmap look like? And I think that's why, you know, we have our our key partners that we work with. We're we're very good at uh, understanding, you know, what's coming, what's the future, you know, making sure that they stay top of mind with all of our, our designers and our engineers to ensure that, you know, at the end of the day, when the system is installed, that it is the most recent and, and up-to-date technology. And it's not something that's going to be, you know, phased out or end of life that just simply isn't, uh, you know, feasible when it comes to spares or, you know, replacements, anything like that. So, you know, thinking that through, especially on these longer projects, is is really important, and that's what makes us effective. I, I've been intrigued when I've seen uh, big design agencies like a Gensler or uh, content-driven technology shops like Moment Factory, where they've worked with you guys a lot because I get the sense they know what they're good at. They know how far they can take the big idea, but at some point they hand, they have to hand it off to somebody who's good at the execution. That's exactly right. Yeah, we and and we have um, we have developed, I think, the kind of the secret sauce for being able to work with companies like Gensler and Moment Factory because you're right. You know, at the end of the day, they're the big thinkers, right? They're the creatives who. Uh, ultimately generate the user experience that is on those LED video walls or is on the digital signage or the interactive or the inside of the 
uh, the projection mapping and so forth. So, you know, for us, uh, we have to play that supporting role. And, you know, not every project is exactly the same, but, you know, we do understand, you know, what their strengths and what their capabilities are. And then we play a very supporting role in that. And uh, we've now made it so that it's a well-oiled machine. And uh, we're, as, you know, partners, we're very agile and limber enough to be able to say, okay, we need to pivot a little bit or we need to look at this a little bit differently than the last one. And, you know, again, not two projects are all the same. And so I think, you know, it's our ability to work with them and adapt to, you know, ever-changing uh, circumstances and projects and environments that allow us to be as effective uh, together as, as we are. Do you try hard to kind of stay in your lane, so to speak, and not get into the creative stuff? Well, I think at the at the end of the day, you have to have sort of a creative vein in you to work here, right? I mean, that's ultimately what we do. We're constantly pushing the envelope of what's possible, but we also have to put the trust into our partners. And I think we do a really good job of that. Um, we've never been a company that's done content or experienced design. And the reason for that is, is that we have, you know, a multitude of partners who do and who do it very, right. very well. Right. And so for us, it's, it's more about playing that supporting role with making sure that the technology is something that they can work with uh, when they're creating their content. Um, but it's also something that is going to be easy for the end user to use if that's a requirement um, and really just play that supporting role. I think the, at the end of the day, what people see and what they view on these large displays, as you talked about, is really the product of the, the creative uh, minds that go into the content and the storytelling. And we're there to play that supportive role. Right. I think that's more what I'm asking is uh, if you, you guys conceivably could have a creative team that would produce the, you know, the big visuals and so on. But because you work with some great partners, you know, you kind of do your thing and let them do their thing and don't don't get into competition. That's right. Yeah, there, there's no there's no competition there where I think we do supplement them very well as our executive consulting. So we have uh, Will Bullens um, and Chris Moore, who are executive consultants who work for us, as well as Chris Conti. Um, those three individuals are super talented. They've got a great deal of experience, both you know working hand in hand with clients to help them think through you know, what it is that they're looking to do uh, with their space. Uh, but they're also very technical, right? So they come up with uh, sketches and little drawings and things like that. They can really make them uh, a, a multi-faceted uh, uh, individual within the company. And that's why they're, they're so effective. Um, you know, oftentimes they get paired with, you know, the likes of Moment Factory or Gensler or uh, an architect or an experienced design firm who's looking to, uh, help their client uncover what is possible with the technology. And then from there, you know, we work it through design consulting and into uh, systems integration and then all the way through to service. Do you have end users who are coming to you and just basically saying, I want that because they've, they've seen something? Yeah, believe it or not, they do. And, and, and I revert back to Summit 1 Vanderbilt again because it's uh, very unique. It's, it's award-winning and, uh, you know, it's, it's just something that everybody I think is, is aware of or familiar with now, especially in New York City. And, 
you know, they constantly are saying, you know, how do we, how do we create that? Or even in the airport environments, um, like we just did Terminal A at Newark, um, I've had, you know, multiple airports say to me, you know, we want that, we want that 232 foot long video wall, right? At, at departures or behind the check-in counter. And, you know, our response to that, Dave, is often, you know, do something different, right? Like it's great to be able to pull inspiration from other projects, but no one wants to see the same project replicated, right? So how do you pull inspiration from something that's that unique, but then put your own spin on it, right? And then especially in an airport environment, because it is high traffic, it's it's a public place, people are there, you know, millions of people and users through there. How do you do something that differentiates? And that's what we always try to coach our our clients into thinking about, you know, what is it that's going to make you the next talk of the town? How do you get yourself to that point where people are taking selfies or people are talking about the uh, the technology and the experience that they had as they moved through the airport? So those are the kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, there's really two tracks in airports. You've got the big immersive experiential, almost like public art installations, but then you've got a lot of LED and flat panel displays that are just about making the experience of getting your way through the airport to a gate and onto a plane easier. I actually think there's three, Dave. I, I would I would add the um, you know the digital out of home experience as well there, you know mm-hmm. because yeah. there's the you know the clear channels and the intersections of the world all have these. Uh, you know, these con- these large contracts with these uh, airports and, and uh, real estate owners who, you know, they have their screens as well. And in, you know, a lot of these airport environments uh, like Newark, for example, there's over 80 displays there, right, that are specifically geared towards advertising, tar- well-targeted advertising. Then you've got your, you know, your art piece, which you mentioned, which is more of the experiential and immersive. And then the third pillar is the the typical airport communications, right? Because people have to know where their flight is and how to get from point A to point B, whether it's wayfinding or, you know, something of that nature. But uh, there's really a, a multitude of, you know, digital endpoints to go into any airport or terminal experience. Yeah, I've been blabbering away lately that if you really want to see kind of the state of the art of digital signage and how that technology is applied in different ways, go look at a at a renovated or new airport terminal. It's true. Yeah. And the government's flushing a lot of money into obviously these, the infrastructure and redevelopment of these airports. Um, That trend we feel is going to continue and it's going to continue to push the envelope for what is possible. I think at the end of the day, you're finding that these old outdated airports really just need, you know, a a refresh, something that's going to make people want to fly out of there, something that's going to set the tone for their their trip that they're about to go on. But also just as silly as it sounds, put a smile on their face, right? If there's a way to make people feel at home or comfortable or keep them entertained so that they're buying more concessions within an an airport environment, that's a, that's a huge win for that, uh, for that terminal in that airport. So I just want to know where my gate is, how to get there, and how long is it going to take me to get through the various lines. Right, and maybe where the bar is, too. On oh, no, never, <laughs> never. <laughs> is, is there a trend that you're starting to see emerge? Uh, yeah, I, I think there is. Um, I think, you know, just the start of 2023, where we've seen a, a real uptick in um, – when it comes to experiential and immersive environments in higher education, but also in sports. 
Uh, we're finding more and more of these higher education institutions want to give uh, students access to, uh, you know, a big video wall that may have, you know, a multitude of, of touch points, uh, interactives, ways of being able to use, uh, you know, the system itself and, and interact with it across a multitude of different, um, uh, you know, uh, different uh tracks throughout uh throughout the uh the the school um so you know so there's so there's kind of been a, a lot of that recently and then sports as well um you know these these kind of one-off experiences within stadiums and training facilities and things like that there really has been an uptick uh in in those uh through uh, you know since the start of the year and um you know we, we're, we're expecting that uh trend to continue so last question, is there a big project that uh, you're allowed to talk about that we're going to see in the next calendar year? Um, I, I can't really get into the specifics of the name of it, but uh, the one that comes to mind for me is a um, an immersive museum experience that's going to be happening downtown uh, in Manhattan, just outside of the Oculus. So a well-traveled area. It's a building that probably anybody who's from New York or been to that part of the area is going to be revamped. And uh, it's going to be led by an immersive artist and a team of people who are really invested in not only the uh, the video, but the audio portion of uh, any given museum experience. So you can expect uh, upwards of 20 plus video walls and large scale rooms with huge projection mapped uh, walls, floor, uh, ceilings, just a, a variety of different uh, experiences as you travel through each room. So it's something that's on the horizon. And, um, you know, the, the scheduled uh, opening date is uh, right around Labor Day of this year. So we'll see if that holds true. But um, uh, in any case, it is something that's upcoming and uh, we can give you more information on it as it uh, as it unfolds. And that's led by the real estate developer? It is another real estate developer. Yeah, so much like we were talking about earlier in the conversation with SL Green, this is another company that's very uh, prominent in New York. Uh, this is a first real venture for them into more of the attractions type of space. Uh, so they do need a lot of help, but uh, you know we're there to provide it and the support uh, that they need to be successful. And uh, you know we we really anticipate this being kind of a game changer for especially for Lower Manhattan. Hmm. All right, Brandon, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me on today. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 169 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of this stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 69 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 69, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. 
You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.